listening to WLPN, 105.5 FM Chicago, and you're listening to Labor Express Radio, Chicago's only English-language labor news and current affairs radio program. News for working people by working people. I'm your host, Jeremy Lucero, and this is the Sunday, December 12, 2019 edition of Labor Express. Well, I guess you could call tonight's episode The Bernie Sanders Show. We are rapidly approaching the end of 2019 and the beginning of a presidential election year, though I'm sure many of you might feel like we've been in it for some time already. Here on Labor Express, we've largely steered clear of the topic so far, but it's time that we start giving some attention to the issue on the program, given the impact its outcome will have on the lives of working people not only nationally but also internationally. I also promised listeners when I skipped Senator Sanders' presentation at the Chicago Teachers Union strike vote rally back in September that I would find time in an upcoming program to air excerpts of his speech to the Teachers Union and their allies. Well, tonight is that night. Plus, we're going to analyze Senator Sanders' labor platform with help from our friends at Building Bridges, Your Community and Labor Report. Sanders has issued probably the most progressive labor platform, especially in regards to changes in our anti-worker labor law regime, of any major party candidate in recent memory. But first, we have our international labor news update from our friends at Radio Labor based in Canada. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor report recorded on Monday, December 2nd, 2019. I'm Mark Boulanger. Labor activists are in Madrid attending a major UN conference on climate change. The conference, entitled COP25, is focused on making sure that UN climate conventions, including the Paris Agreement, are being implemented. I talked to Samantha Smith about climate change. Ms. Smith is the director of the labor movement's Just Transition Center. I asked Ms. Smith why the labor movement is so concerned about climate change. We think everybody should be concerned about climate change. And if we just look at some of the things that have happened recently with Hurricane Dorian, the wildfires that we're seeing in different countries, uh, extreme heat events, for example, in France recently, you know, as the world gets warmer, heat is going to be an issue for every single person who's working outside. So that's everybody from people working in agriculture and forestry through construction, street hawkers, anyone who spends most of their workday outside is already being affected by climate change, and that is going to continue in the future. We also have a lot of people who are on the very front lines of disaster relief and emergency response, our first responders. These are people, people of firefighters who are fighting wildfires, people responding to floods. All of those workers are also directly affected by climate change. And then finally, the government response to climate change, the response of employers, this also affects our people. People's jobs are going to change as a result of trying to bring down emissions and adapt to climate change. And so we have to be ready for that. We have to be ready both for the impacts of climate change, the direct impacts, but also for the impacts on jobs. You are the director of the International Labor Movement's Just Transition Center. What is a just transition? A just transition is our concept. It comes out of the labor movement. And over time, it's become increasingly linked to the response to climate change. And basically, it's about all of the things that need to happen, that workers, that employers, that governments and communities need to do in response to climate change that relates to the world of work. So just to 
break it down a little bit, it has three key parts. So the first part is that there shouldn't be any discussion about planning for climate change without having workers and their unions at the table and without looking at it through a lens of jobs, social protection, social security, all of the issues that are important for the labor movement. The second thing is that a lot of people, when they think about just transition, they think that it's just about people who today are working in coal mining or coal-fired power, uh, regions that are very dependent on coal as you know, for jobs, for tax revenue, for livelihoods. It's about all of the things that employers need to do, like retaining, retraining, and redeploying workers, like governments putting in systems of income support, so unemployment insurance proper health care, proper public services, diversifying regional economies. The last thing that it's about is the response to climate change is creating and will create even more new jobs and also change jobs that exist today. And so it's not a just transition unless the new jobs are good jobs. So in part, just transition is about reversing these trends of casualization, contractualization, informality of work, and making sure that a job installing solar panels is at least as good as the job that a coal worker has had before. It's important to think about this transition as being an actual transition. A lot of things need, do need to happen now. So that means, for example, building the alternatives in low emissions, power electricity, starting to change the steel industry, the cement industry, the plastics and chemicals industries, so that we use the low-emitting technologies we have today and people are trained to use them. Like, all of those things should be happening today, and almost all of those things would be actually good for workers and jobs if they were done right with proper labor standards and proper investments in good jobs. And that's it, international labor news you can use. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. You're listening to Labor Express Radio News, for people by working people. And that was our weekly international labor news update from Solidarity News, produced by Radio Labor in Canada. For more on Radio Labor, see their website at radiolabor.net. So let's hear Bernie speaking to the Chicago teachers back in September at the CTU Hall as they were voting to launch their historic strike. Sanders recognized the power and influence of the CTU in particular and teacher union activism in general has had in recent years in mobilizing a new wave of social movements and said as much in his opening remarks. But we're going to skip over that and skip ahead in his speech to where he starts to discuss his education platform, his agenda for labor law reform, and Medicare for All. So let me tell you some of what I think has to happen nationally and the role of the federal government in making it happen. Too many of our kids are going to schools that are inadequately funded, funded, which is why in my education reform proposal, we triple funding for Title I schools. Teachers, teachers in Chicago and in Vermont and all over the country 
are dealing with kids who are walking in the door with a lot of issues. And that is why we're going to significantly underline, significantly increase funding for the IDEA program. Education. Education should not end just at the end of the school day, and that is why we are going to adequately fund after-school programs and summer programs. Working parents have a right to know that their kids are going to be in a safe and constructive environment after school. They have a right to know that in the summertime, their kids are going to get the educational and recreational opportunities that they need. We expand funding for universal education in this country. Children in Chicago or any other school district in the country should not be going to schools where the buildings need maintenance, where the kids do not have the latest and best technology available to them. And that is why we're going to put people to work rebuilding schools all over this country. That is what our children and our educators deserve. In the United States, love you too. In the United States of America, it is an absolute disgrace that we have children who go hungry. And our plan is going to feed every child in this country who needs quality nutrition. And I'll tell you something else we're going to do. I want the best and the brightest young people in college to say, I want to become a teacher because there's nothing more important than I can do. I want to become a teacher. I want to become a teacher or a support staff person. Thank you, support staff. You make the schools go. I want to become an educator because it is the right and patriotic thing to do. If we look to the future of this country, the children are the future. And we have a moral responsibility to make sure that those kids get the very best education that we can provide them. And that's what you do. And let me tell you something else. Let me tell you something else that we're going to do.
not only are we going to beat Trump, we're going to decimate Trumpism. We are going to end the racism and the sexism and the homophobia and the xenophobia and the religious bigotry that comes out of that administration. We're going to put all of that behind us and create a nation that brings all of our people together, black and white and Latino, Native American, Asian American, gay and straight, immigrant, native born. We bring our people together around an agenda that works for all of us, not just the 1%. And when we talk about our young people, let me also say that in my view, I do not want one kid in this country who goes, who is in the 11th grade or 12th grade to think that he or she cannot get a higher education because their family lacks the funds. Four years ago when I came to Chicago and I campaigned here, I said, we must make public colleges and universities tuition free. And in the last four years, 12 states in this country have moved in that direction. And when we are in the White House together, we're going to make public colleges and universities tuition-free in every state in this country. Now, let me, ask, let me ask you guys a question. How many of you are dealing with student debt? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, let me tell you what we're going to do about that one. Eleven years ago, as you all remember, against my vote, the United States Congress bailed out the crooks on Wall Street to the tune of trillions of dollars of zero-interest loans from the Federal Reserve. Two years ago, Trump and his friends gave over a trillion dollars in tax breaks to the 1% in large profitable corporations. Well, it seems to me that if we could bail out the crooks on Wall Street, if we can give tax breaks to billionaires, we could cancel all student debt in this country. And I will tell you, I will tell you how we're going to pay for it. My critics, of which, needless to say, there are more than a few. And they say, hey, Bernie, you're such a nice guy. You're giving away all of this. How are you going to pay for it? I will tell you, I will tell you exactly how we're going to pay for it. We're going to pay for it through a tax on Wall Street speculation. 
at a time of massive and grotesque income and wealth inequality in America, when three people on the top own more wealth than the bottom half of the American people. You got that? Three people at a time when the top 1% owns more wealth than the bottom 92%. At a time when 49% of all new income goes to the top 1%. At a time when over the last 30 years, the top 1% saw their wealth increase by $21 trillion, while the bottom half of American society saw a decline in their wealth. So it seems to me that we know where the money is. And under our administration, the billionaire class and the large profitable corporations will start paying their fair share of taxes. We just, just yesterday, just yesterday introduced a tax on wealth which says to the top one half of 1% that we're going to tax the very richest people in this country so that we adequately fund housing, we adequately fund childcare, and we create a Medicare for all healthcare system which guarantees healthcare to every man, woman, and child in this country. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, health care is a human right, not a privilege. And if Canada, if our neighbors in Canada and countries all over this world can make sure that people get all the health care that they need as a right, we are prepared to take on the greed of the drug companies and the insurance companies and do it right here in America. So tonight, I am so proud to be here with you tonight to say to the city of Chicago, sit down with the CTU, sit down with the SEIU, and negotiate, and negotiate a good faith contract that is just, that is fair, that treats the teachers and staff in this city with the respect and dignity that they deserve. Today I say to the city of Chicago, I say to the city of Chicago, sit down and negotiate a contract that substantially reduces class sizes in the city of Chicago.
It is no great secret that kids can't learn and teachers can't teach if the class size is too high. Tonight I say to the city of Chicago, substantially increase the pay and benefits for teachers in Chicago. And for the support staff in Chicago. And tonight, I say to the city of Chicago, we are going to have a Medicare for all, but we're not there yet. So sign a contract with the unions that does not force them to pay more for the health care that they need. Tonight, I say to the city of Chicago, sign a contract that deals with the desperate shortage of school nurses, of social workers, of librarians, and of other critical staff that keep our schools going. Now, the proposal that I brought forth on education ends all private charter schools in this country. And tonight, tonight I say to the city of Chicago, sign a contract with the unions that does not expand charter schools in Chicago. Brothers, brothers and sisters, I just want to thank you so much for two reasons. Number one, I want you to know that you are doing some of the most important work that can possibly be done in our country. You are, you are giving hope to the children. You're giving love to the kids. You're educating the kids. You're preparing the kids at a very difficult time to go out in the world and succeed. To my mind, when we talk about valuing work, it's not the hedge fund managers on Wall Street that we should value, it is the teachers of this country. It is the staffing in this country. It is the school nurses and the librarians so thank you so much for loving the kids and for wanting these kids to do well. And that's reason number one. And reason number two that I'm here to thank you is you understand what I understand, is that for the last 45 years there has been a war in this country by the corporate elite against the working class of our nation. The rich become phenomenally richer, and the working class struggles. 
And what we are here to say is that you know and I know that the only way we grow the working class in this country, the only way we bring prosperity to working people is when we significantly increase membership in trade unions all across America. And here is, here is the very good news, very good news, is that all across America, there are millions of working people who want to join unions. Because they know that alone they can't negotiate anything. But when people are united and stand together, you can get decent wages and decent working conditions. And that's why I have introduced legislation which will make it easier for workers to join a union if 50% of the workers in a bargaining unit plus one sign a card saying they want to join a union, they're in a union. So right now, in an unprecedented and dangerous moment in American history, our job is twofold. Number one, it goes without saying, we have got to defeat the most dangerous president in the modern history in this country. But second of all, second of all, in the richest country in the history of the world, we are going to create an economy and a government that works for the working people of this country, not just wealthy campaign contributors. So brothers and sisters, thank you so much in standing up for the kids. Let's go forward together. Let's win this thing. Thank you. You're listening to Labor Express Radio News for working people by working people. We need to take a short station ID break, but when we return, we'll analyze presidential candidate Senator Bernie Sanders' labor platform with help from our friends at Building Bridges, your community and labor report. So stay tuned. You're listening to Labor Express Radio, which calls only English language labor news and current affairs radio program. Regular listeners to Labor Express Radio are familiar with the fact that I occasionally air audio from our friends Ken Nash and Mimi Rosenberg, the hosts of Building Bridges, Your Community and Labor Report, an excellent labor news program that airs on WBAI in New York City. Ken Nash, on a recent episode, interviewed Sean Richmond, an In These Times contributing writer and the program director of the Harry Van Arsdale Jr. Center for Labor Studies at the SUNY Empire State College. Sean analyzed Senator Bernie Sanders' platform on labor, especially reforms to labor law. Sanders, early on in his presidential campaign, issued one of the most progressive and comprehensive labor platforms I've ever seen from a major party candidate for president. It seeks to undo much of the anti-worker labor law going back as far as the Taft-Hartley Act of 1947, which sought to weaken union power and make it harder for workers to join a union. Sanders planned to allow for things like card track recognition, to end the legal prohibition against secondary boycotts, to prevent employers from avoiding negotiating a first contract or misclassifying workers as independent contractors or supervisors, to extend labor law protections and guarantee the right to unionize and the strike to domestic workers, farm workers, and government employees, 
These are all things the labor movement has sought for decades and would dramatically reduce barriers to organizing unions and increase the power of those that already exist. To be fair, other candidates have since issued platforms that embrace some of these same reforms and principles. In particular, Senator Elizabeth Warren has since issued a lengthy platform that echoes much of what is in Sanders' document. It is a testament to the impact of Sanders and progressive activists, especially labor activists, have had on moving the Democrats leftward, at least in regards to issues of labor law, in the last several years. Richmond's analysis is therefore as much a primer on the platforms of the most progressive Democratic presidential candidates as it is of Sanders. So let's hear Building Bridges' discussion of Senator Sanders' labor platform. And this is Building Bridges, your community and labor report, produced by Mimi Rosenberg and Ken Nash. How can we put a labor union in every workplace with Sean Richmond, who spent a decade and a half as a union organizer and representative? He was a deputy director for organizing for the American Federation of Teachers, where he ran the union's National Charter School Organizing Division. As a writer, he has focused on union strategy and structure, Proposals for Labor Law Reform. He's been published in the American Prospect in these times, Jacobin, the New York Daily News, the New York Times, the Staten Island Advance, the Washington Post, and Vox. He currently serves as the program director of the Harry Van Osdell Jr. Center for Labor Studies at SUNY Empire State College. Well, it's about time that workers demanded more, much more. Sean Richmond brings his expertise to the table to analyze the most recently released plan of Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders titled The Workplace Democracy Plan, WDP, for furthering workers' interests collectively, both in the private and the public sector. He'll talk about whether, in his opinion, the WDP can facilitate workers' bargaining power through, among other things, facilitating a union in every workplace and returning to workers the right to strike as a check on the power of, the, of capital. Since the New Deal legislation, there has been a weakening of worker protections both in the courts and with the new waves of right-wing anti-labor legislation, rules and regulations, and agency appointments. Richmond brings his extensive knowledge to the table to assess whether the WDP proposals offer a sword and or a shield to defend against the war waged on private and public sector employees. And Sean Richmond, welcome to Building Bridges. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Sean, this new proposal by Bernie Sanders is voluminous in certain ways in the number of different proposals that Bernie has put out there. So why don't you give us an introduction first as to what's in the plan, given the fact that for the last 40 to 50 years, the labor movement has been the defensive against labor laws which seek to destroy it. 
let's set some context first. The exactly. sort of amazing thing about uh, 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 where we are right now is that the Senate and Congressional Democrats' official labor law proposal right now, their, their bill, which of course doesn't stand a chance of passing in the current Congress, essentially calls for the repeal of Taft-Hartley. Um, and that's the Protecting the Right to Organize Act, or the PRO Act. So in that context where the Senate Dems and, and the House Dems are saying, let's repeal Taft-Hartley, um, what you're seeing among the candidates for the presidential nomination is a race to the left, where repealing Taft-Hartley is now the floor, but we have to do better than that. And so specifically on, um, uh, on, on amending the National Labor Relations Act, Bernie, of course, supports the PRO Act. He also goes further to more explicitly um, uh, 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 legislatively repeal uh, the, uh, the, the, the 1937 Supreme Court decision, uh, uh, McKay, that um, allows employers to permanently replace economic strikers. Um, he reinserts some items that were in the failed Employee Free Choice Act that didn't make its way over to the PRO Act, and that's specifically card check uh, certification for all new unions um, and, and uh, binding arbitration for a first contract if the parties cannot come to a reasonable agreement. Um, and all of that is great, um, but given... You know, look, we're, we, we're, we've seen you know, employers go out of their way to evade the employer-based... Uh, labor relations framework in this country. We've seen them, you know, they'll call you a subcontractor, they'll, they'll call you an independent contractor, they'll ship your jobs overseas, they'll, um, uh, 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 you know, they'll shut down their workplace, um, given that, you know, we've seen the Gothamist, uh, you know, shut its doors after the, the workers voted for a union. So, so to really bring unions back, um, in a real way, we need some proposals that transcend the sort of the workplace-based exclusive representation, you know, uh, 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 model where where the union lives or dies in a specific workplace. And so Bernie's got a lot of stuff here um, that that is really exciting. Uh, first and foremost, and closest to my heart, um, he proposes um, uh, a just cause standard of employment under the law. And just cause is, you know, it's, it's, it's the basic reasonable principle that you can't be fired for a bad reason or no reason. You have to be fired because you, it's justified. Um, and that you get to have your day in court and defend your job. Um, this, of course, is very commonly negotiated into union contracts. Um, it is also in, in the education profession. It's what we know of as tenure. Um, corporate executives have this <laughs> because they all have individual contracts. Um, at, but for the vast majority of workers, um, we don't have these kinds of protections. And this is really, um, it is a, it, it's just, a, it's a foundational uh, a problem in the law, um, and really, um, uh, from from the word go, uh, is, is a part of the the fundamental imbalance of of employers' powers versus versus workers' powers. You know, the 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 ability having just cause gives a worker. Uh, non-union or with a union, the ability to say no, you know, to turn down uh, a job assignment that is really outside the bounds of, of um, you know, what you signed up for, um, like going up to Matt Lauer's uh, hotel room uh, 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 <laughs> you know, or some of these other stories we've heard out of Me Too. Not my job, dude. Uh, you get to say that. Right now, there are certainly protections for, um, you know, uh, against uh, a racially biased or, or, or gender biased uh, discrimination, um, but 
the, the burden is on the employee to prove that it was a bad firing. What just caused does is it flips the script and it puts the burden on the employer to justify that the termination was, in fact, justified. So it, it would be a huge uh, sea change in workers' rights. And in my experience, it actually does help unions organize. First of all, there are legal protections under the National Labor Relations Act for employers, uh, for, for employees who organize a union, but it falls to the same standard where it's up to the, the workers and the union to prove that it was a bad firing rather than the, the, the standard of you have a right to, to your job. Um, and, and because it's a special right, um, it's harder to defend. So that's a huge deal. And actually, uh, Bernie is the third uh, Democratic candidate to come out in favor of just cause, um, which is pretty uh, uh, wild, because um, this was an issue that wasn't really on the agenda uh, not that long ago. Um, but Bill de Blasio uh, called for it in his platform, and uh, John Hickenlooper, before he dropped out, also endorsed it. And we may see more candidates endorse this. The other thing that Bernie proposes, and this one really does, would put a union in every workplace, is he proposes what his platform calls um, sectoral bargaining, um, which is, you know, it, it exists on a voluntary basis in some industries in America. Um, it exists um, in, much more commonly in other countries, both voluntarily and as a part of the legal framework. And the idea here is that rather than negotiate terms at a specific employer only, so rather than just negotiating terms at, say, Verizon uh, uh, Telephone, um, it, it is a venue to negotiate the wages and benefits for workers across an entire industry, so across, say, the entire telecom industry. Um, and, and, and once a rule is made there, and it applies equally to, you know, to, to T-Mobile, to, to, to Verizon, to AT&T, you've essentially taken that issue out of competition, that the employers are no longer competing over how little they can pay people, how stingy they can make uh, any particular benefit. Um, and, 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 and it makes the, the wins a lot more durable. Now, he's calling it sectoral bargaining. Um, he's very clear in his platform that um, he, he's, not, he's not presenting a ready-made package and that whatever he's going to do has to involve the input of unions. Um, and uh, you know, look, there's a lot of there's a lot of fear of the unknown. Uh, I, I think that even the phrase bargaining is somewhat um, it will prove to be somewhat inaccurate because um, this is not bargaining as we understand it um, in the United States, not collective bargaining as we understand it. Um, the model and 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 sort of you know the the influence of various academics um, and researchers um, that that you can you, you can see their you can see their influence on the proposal um, are really looking at models of of sort of tripartite rulemaking um, so that's a system where there's a representative of of of, of the workers where there might be multiple unions uh, uh, representing the workers a representative of the employers where of course there are multiple employers in an industry and a third party that is supposed to be neutral, so a representative of the public. And, you know, it's a board that can, that can uh, uh, make a new rule that, that you know, uh, applies across the board. Um, uh, most notably and most recently in America, um, New York State dusted off a Depression-era, New Deal-era wage board um, that still existed, um, to um, to to uh, effectively legislate the fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage in the fast food industry, 
And, um, you know, it was a real sort of back to the future kind of thing. This is, you know, this is a wage board that people probably forgot existed around 1959. Um, But the process of of, of utilizing this, and it was, the fix was not in. There was no guarantee that SEIU was going to win a $15 minimum wage using this wage board. Uh, A lot of people saw this as potentially a sellout move, and nobody really trusted the governor. Um, But the process of it... Um, has really um, it, it, it's made folks at SEIU true believers in this model, and they are they are very eager to export and expand it around the country. Um, and I think that is a major reason why you see it in Bernie's platform. Sean, let's drill a little bit deeper into the. Let's start with organizing, okay? Organizing a union. Yep. There's a lot of things that you mentioned that relate to that, including just cause. There's a lot of things that you couldn't get in because of the time element. So let's talk about some of those. Let's talk about the first contract provisions. Let's talk about the public sector. Let's talk about organizing uh, unions in the public sector. Let's talk about groups that have been excluded from the collect- from collective bargaining process. Yep the farm workers and domestic workers since the 30s, which is really a a racist act of including, excluding domestic workers and farm workers from the protections of not only collective bargaining, but also the minimum wage. So, oh, and card check authorization for recognition. Let's talk about how this affects getting a union in the first place. Okay, well, let's start with the holes in the, in the National Labor Relations Act. Um, as you alluded to, um, the act, you know, it doesn't cover all workers. Um, and some were, a lot of workers were intentionally not covered um, from the very beginning, mainly in order to get votes. Um, you know, it was not an easy uh, law to pass in 1935. Um, and the, the New Deal coalition, um, you know, it, it, it had... Um, what is now the constituency of the Republican Party, but but white, racist, Southern Democrats were crucial. Their votes were crucial to get the act passed. And so in order to get their votes, it excluded their workers. Um, so, so farm workers and domestic workers are not covered by the act. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible omission, and and it, it it absolutely it just it excludes you know it and always has excluded millions of black workers. Um, government employees were also not covered by the act, um, and that you know, that was just to get congressional votes. Congressmen were like, I don't want my staff forming a union against me, so we're against this. And in the, um, in the states also. Yes. So, so um, the, what, what Bernie's proposing is, is a fairly straightforward amendment to the National Labor Relations Act to put domestic and, and farm workers under that act. Um, and for public sector workers, he's endorsing two other bills that are out there. And, and forgive me, I, don't, I can't recall who, what the name of the bill or who, 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 who's proposing them, um, but it, it is not Bernie's idea. These are ideas that are out there. One bill would simply um, codify um, proper... Um, uh, uh, legal collective bargaining for federal sector workers. Right now, there's you know there's a series of of, of executive orders and, and and laws that that you know let them have a kind of union, sort of a meet and confer relationship. But there's no formal bargaining, and also it's right to work. There is no union shop there. Um, and and you know a historical note here, of course, is that. Um, in 1981, when the air traffic controllers went on strike, which resulted in, in Ronald Reagan uh, 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 firing them all and sort of changing the course of his presidency and changing the course of history, the reason they were on strike is that the federal government was simply refusing to bargain over wages, and they had spent 10 years 
as a union in bargaining, um, but not bargaining over the things that they wanted to. And they had convinced themselves that that the only way to fix that was to was to show their might um, and uh, as as workers and withdraw their labor. Um, and and some extent, it was just sort of a tragic accident of timing that it resulted that way. Um, by having the right to strike, I think you're actually less likely to see strikes in in the federal zone. So it's a very interesting proposal. And then there's another law that would simply um, create, uh, it looks to me like it would create sort of a new labor board. So it wouldn't simply take state and municipal workers and put them under the NLRB. It does sort of acknowledge that the issues are different, um, and therefore, you know, there should be a separate labor board. But it would give them substantially the same sorts of rights as workers who are protected by the NLRB. So the right to have a, a collective bargaining election, the right to engage in contracts, and, and that this can't be abrogated by, you know, any any Scott Walker that comes walking by. Yeah, and it, certain, doesn't leave, it doesn't leave the issue up to the states certain any states, public, the state public and city public employees do have the right to strike over some issues. In, in certain, it, it, it's, it's a patchwork is what we have yeah. currently. Yeah. Um, and obviously in New York, we have one of the worst laws around public employees striking. Um, but you've also got, you know, in Texas, the Constitution forbids any agency of the government from, from recognizing a union and, collect, and, and entering into collective bargaining. So that all gets wiped away um, if a bill like this uh, gets passed. And that is a big deal for millions of, of workers in this country. Um, what, what else are we covering here? Um, uh, oh, the, 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 binding, the, the, the binding arbitration for a first agreement. Yeah, getting so, a union in the first place, yeah. So, yeah, so getting a union in the first place, I mean, I think, I, I, I imagine uh, m- most of your listeners have, have some sense of how rigged the NLRB election system is in, front of, in, 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 in favor of employers. The moment that, that a representation petition is filed, um, it sets the clock, and uh, the employer can run a campaign where they can, they can bring you into captive audience meetings all day long. Um, and if you don't attend, you're fired. Um, they can lie to you. They can, you know, they can threaten your job as long as they, they sort of couch it as an economic prediction. Um, they, 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 of course, do fire workers all the time, even though that's illegal. By the time it's fixed, the election has already happened. So there's this whole gauntlet that workers have to face um, in an NLRB certification election to even win the right to get to the bargaining table. And so Cardcheck sidesteps that and says, look, if, if you can get the majority of the employees to, to, to vote on a petition that they want a union, that's good enough. There's no reason to make them vote a second time. That is certification. And, and you know, Cardcheck is, you know, it is, um, it's a 100% turnout election. Because on the day you start signing those cards, you start signing those petitions, um, you're, 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 you're starting with every uh, worker as a no vote. Um, and your job as an organizer is to get enough people to actively sign the petition to become yes votes. Under an NLRB election, you simply have to win a majority of those workers who, who turn out to vote. Um, so it's more democratic um, uh, uh, in addition to everything else. But... Winning your certification and getting to the bargaining table still doesn't get you a union. In about half the cases where a, a new union is certified, the workers never get a contract. And that's because there, there's no requirement to agree to a contract. All the employer has to do is bargain in quote-unquote good faith. And there's a lot of case law around what that in, involves. And that basically means you keep pushing paper back and forth. They have to respond to, to you know, what you're saying. You know, they, they have to give counterproposals, but they don't have to agree to you. They don't have to agree to salary increases at all. You know, they can just say, look, we have other priorities, so we're not, you know, not going to give you a raise. And sure, we um, have about five minutes left. 
to talk about what I would like to talk about, the Taft-Hartley Act, insofar okay. as it covers secondary boycotts, as far as the right-to-work laws, and also in terms of the other impediments to collective bargaining within the law. So um, the way that right-to-work works legally is... Um, I love that uh, term, right-to-work. It's a section of the federal law that says, hey, on this question, we're not going to have federal law supremacy. Because in all other matters of, of, of labor rights, federal law, if, if federal law says something, the states can't, can't say something different. The federal law is supreme. But on the question of um, the union shop, of the idea that where a union has the obligations of exclusive representation of a group of workers at a workplace, the workers who are protected by that contract should have to pay a reasonable fee for the services of that union, the, the, the Taft-Hartley Act says, well, unless the state says they don't want that. And, you know, um, uh, they, you know, when that law passed in 1947, the South seceded. <laughs> Every southern state very quickly passed a right-to-work law that made the union shop um, illegal in that state. And it kind of stayed there. But over time, the, the Sunbelt states started passing it. And then we saw during the Tea Party era that the Republicans realized um, uh, uh, way better than the Democrats do, that unions are crucial to Democrats' uh, get-out-the-vote operations. And so we saw, um, you know, we saw all of these states in the Midwest, all of these rock-solid, um, generally uh, Democratic states, passing right-to-work laws. And, and you, know, there are, you know, there's some research out there that that, that, that itself might account for Trump's victory, that, 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 you know, if Trump, you know, who lost the popular vote around the country by three million votes... Um, you know, he, but he wins. He wins three crucial states in the electoral college, and those states are, are you know, in, in the case of Michigan and Wisconsin, those are states that had recently gone right to work um, and, and very narrowly went for him, um, and probably because of the loss of, of, of union membership. So that and that and that is something that's in the pro act. That is something that is now the the congressional Democrats' position is right to work is wrong for America, um, uh, and of course all of this huge caveat. They say this now when they can't pass it. Let's see what happens in 2021. But that's that's kind of a big deal. And Sean, um, we don't only really have a few minutes left, but I do want to get in the, ta- the secondary boycott provisions under Taft. The secondary boycott provisions. And the uh, permanent replacement of workers in strikes. Yeah. So secondary boycott is actually the worst thing that Taft-Hartley did to workers because it outlaws solidarity. Out. Um, it basically it restricts job actions to um, you and your immediate employer, um, and it sort of forbids workers from sort of extending a fight um, to uh, another company who's who who, who de- either depends on your employer or who your employer depends upon. Um, so so it really it takes away your ability to, to 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 put this sort of leverage on the bosses. It takes away your ability to to, to do you know to, again to do to do solidarity right. Like if you if you know if you if you look at a situation you know uh, 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 when the Oreo factory was sent overseas and and those all those workers in Chicago were going to lose their job. You know it's one thing you know when you're protesting a factory that's about to get shut down. The real power obviously would be if supermarket workers all over the country said we're not putting Oreo cookies on the shelves. Right. We're, we're throwing them out the. We're throwing out the back. That's it. That's what Taft Hartley. That's what secondary boycott makes illegal, and that obviously, obviously, really restricts uh, uh, worker power. Okay. And last but not least, you're on strike. Replacement workers scab come in, and then when the contract is signed, they get your job. 
And this is, so this is a thing that actually happened in 1937. I don't think people realize this. There was a bad Supreme Court decision in 1937 that said, you know, even though the, the, the National Labor Relations Act clearly says no one can be, you know, you have the right to strike, nothing in this act is going to limit the right to strike. Uh, bad decision says, well, of course, you know, an employer is allowed to protect and continue his business, and so if he needs to find permanent replacements, he should. And it just sort of sat out there for decades until after... Reagan fires the air traffic controllers, and employers say, oh, game on, we're going to start busting our unions. Um, you have a, 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 a copper mining company in Arizona called Phelps Dodge right. that, that, that um, you know, basically bargained their workers to impasse over draconian concessions um, and recruited a whole bunch of scabs from out of state um, and, and replaced the, the strikers and waited 12 months so that those strikers now were, had the right to vote the union out, um, and the workers never got their jobs back. And that became the playbook for corporate America, and that is why you see a drastic decline in strikes afterwards. It's not Patco, it's Phelps Dodge. Um, and so the right to strike, what Bernie is saying, is the right to strike means nothing unless you have the right to return to the job after the strike is over. And so Bernie's bill would legislatively overturn this terrible Supreme Court decision from 1937 called, called McKay. Uh, 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 McKay. Well, Sean, we're just about out of time. We've got one more minute, so can you sum it up in one minute? I think what's, exci- what's exciting about this moment, I think, is that we're seeing this race to the left on labor ideas. And I think that for, for union people, our challenge should be whoever gets the nomination, every idea that got put out there that was good, yes, yes and, that we carry these through. Um, and they, they, they continue to be our demands. The, uh, uh, repealing Taft-Hartley is essential. It is not enough to put a union in, in every workplace in America. So we need wage boards. We need sectoral bargaining. We need just cause. We need dues checkoff by law. Well, thank you so much, Sean Richmond, for making, making this information digestible and presenting so much in so short a period of time. And we have to get you on back later some other day to parse some of this stuff out more and flesh it out and see where the proposals are going. So thank I, you I'd very, very much. I'd love to do it. All right. Thank, thank you. you. This has been Building Bridges, your community and labor report with Mimi Rosenberg. And Ken Nash. And log on to our website at www.buildingbridgesradio.org. I want to thank Ken Nash and Mimi Rosenberg for making their programs available to us here at Labor Express Radio. If you want more info on Building Bridges, your community and labor report, you can find them at buildingbridgesradio.com. Again, that's buildingbridgesradio.com. If you want to read Bernie Sanders' labor platform for yourself, it's linked up on our Facebook page. That's all for tonight's program. You can always find out more about Labor Express by checking our Facebook page at laborexpress.org. Again, that's laborexpress.org. Labor Express is a nonprofit 501c3 member of IBEW Local 1220. The views expressed on Labor Express are those of its producers and instances of IBEW. Labor Express is a production of the Committee for Labor Access in Chicago, the world capital of the labor movement. The songs are a theme is called Worker Song, written by Ed Pickford and recorded by the Dropkick Murphys. Tune in again next Sunday at 8 p.m. for another edition of Labor Express. <laughs> Yeah, 
centuries don't pass for no more than your brain. 